Susan Felth, the Citizen Kane of podcasting. Modern man is confronted with so many movies. Which ones are films? And which ones are filth? In at 96, it's the film that makes you scared of heights. It's Vertigo. Well, then it, does it make you scared of heights? Or is it the It'll make you scared, scared to scared get of... out of the ocean. Ah, okay. <laughs> I, I don't you. think I ever knew what this movie was about. The first viewing for Mark. Hi, Mark. It's, it's <laughs> the first focused viewing where I paid full attention for the entire runtime, just like our Alfred Hitchcock wanted. One of the taglines for this was, make sure to see it from beginning to end. That makes sense. What oh, right, because that wasn't whole, a thing back then, right? Yeah, it foreshadowed his whole like psycho thing where he was like, you, you will not let people in unless <laughs> they are here from the beginning. Um. Hi, Luke. First time viewing? Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah, okay. I, I This is in my film dork category. Um, I think I said North by Northwest how I got entranced by the Universal Studios uh, art of Alfred Hitchcock and went obsessive in the 90s. Saw the 70 millimeter restoration of this in 1997 or whatever it was and have seen it probably like a good dozen times. Uh, did I say I'm Matt? If I didn't, I just did. Joining us today, film archivist, Dorian Bowen. She knows more about how these things are made than we do and how they're preserved. And this this is an interesting, I guess, preservation story, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, it also, I mean, it went out of distribution for almost three decades with uh, four other films. So the five lost Hitchcocks were, um, let's see, in order of appearance. Uh, Rope from 1948, Rear Window from 54, The Man Who Knew Too Much from 56, oh sorry, Skip the Trouble with Harry, 55, and then Vertigo's 58. So those five films became reavailable in the mid-1980s, but for a really good chunk of time there, they were not. So. Yeah, I seem to remember That's... that Universal Studio thing, like, here's cool Rear Window stuff, but you can't actually watch the movie. <laughs> right. And I think that Vertigo, Rear Window, and uh, rope especially like sort of benefited from that absence like I mean we're probably talking about how Vertigo wasn't received very well when it first came out and Hitchcock immediately blamed James Stewart for being too old and Kim Novak for not acting well enough but you know over time people appreciate it a lot more and you know sometimes being being unable to see something makes appreciation grow. The, the weird thing about Kim Novak's performance to me was that she actually was great as the as judy the second lady but was mm. like a little phoned in at the beginning but that made complete sense considering who she was playing because she right. was playing someone who was playing someone yeah if you told me that was a deliberate choice that she was meant to be a little cold and distant because she's playing a role i would have 100 percent bought it so it's got shot himself in the foot there how do you get kind of. how do you how do you do that do you go to like central casting of san francisco and be like i i need I need someone and I'm, I'm going to fake a murder. Please send a girl over. <laughs> I think if you're rich, you could do anything you want. You could just be like, here's $50,000. Get me someone who looks like my wife to, to a guy, to one of your henchmen. Well, it um, might be a case that he didn't have the idea until he saw her. Hmm. That's, that's a prequel that we should, that should be made. I mean, how did Gavin get her to begin with? They could have like a training montage with like dun, 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 music, like as she's learning <laughs> to to play the role. <laughs> well, this is my this fair is... lady, but it's all building up to a murder. Oh <laughs> yeah, it is kind of like my fair murder lady. Um, so, I mean, Dorian, you could join in on this, even though you weren't. We've this is a weird one because it's the first time we've done one director twice, and they're two consecutive movies, and it's really early in the life of this podcast. Uh, does everyone like? this or north by northwest better just raw i don't know if i like one better but it's weird to watch them this way around yeah backwards. because north by northwest is kind of a spoof of this so <laughs> i um personally like vertigo better a lot it's exquisite trash i love it it's like i love the uh i love like murder thriller stuff 
I think that's the first time anyone's called Vertigo exquisite trash, but sure. Yeah. <laughs> um, it reminds me of De Palma, or maybe De Palma reminds me of it, but yes. Yeah. We're going to screen Vertigo in my house probably this weekend or next weekend, because as I was showing you, all, I just got the set with the Japanese subtitles, which my family needs. But we did do Psycho and North by Northwest, and I asked them which one they liked better. And both of my, my wife and daughter went for Psycho. Um, they like your daughter, Dad. She's a psychopath, right? (laughs) (laughs) um, You've told me many times how she laughed when the guy died in The Shining. It is pretty funny. Um, (laughs) Of course, it is. Yeah, but um, but the the thing that she said is, I can't believe the same guy directed both of these movies, and I was like, Yeah, I'm back to back. Whereas I guess North by Northwest and Vertigo, there is a little more of a through line. You can kind of tell the same guys behind the camera. Yeah, yeah they're def- they're they're def- that's what I mean, but that's why it was weird to watch them this way around. Because the North by Northwest was... Oh, Luke just turned I, himself off. I, I, I'm muted because I need to blow my nose, but I did it halfway through a sentence because I'm an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> we'll just pretend so, you blew your nose halfway through the sentence. Yeah. Um, no, yeah, so he... You know what I was saying. I'm going to go blow my nose. Okay, Luke's blowing his nose, and then he's going to do a summary... San Francisco detective John Ferguson, Johnny to his friends and Scotty to his acquaintances, is forced to quit the police after a terrible fool leaves him physically injured and mentally scared of heights. Old college friend Gavin Elster hires John to stalk his wife, Madeline, claiming that she's been possessed by a ghost. John follows Madeline and decides that she's become psychologically obsessed with an old relative and suicidal. He saves her from jumping in the San Francisco Bay and the two fall in love, but he's unable to save her from jumping off a church roof. Apoplectic, it takes him years to recover when he finally meets an identical lookalike and begins obsessively redressing her as Madeline. It turns out this was the woman he fell in love with in a scheme to create a fake version of Gavin's wife and the perfect witness. Eventually, Scotty puts it together, chases her to the top of a tower, and in a Twilight Zone ending, she screams and falls out the window. Yep, you never get near windows. <laughs> that was a very succinct, all my seven pages. You covered all the things. That was very good. Every, everything's covered now. Let's do a little bit on the, or a lot on the actors. I guess this is sort of a, a lot on the actors. Uh, Dorian, something you said, which as soon as you said it, has already always been on my mind with this movie. Jimmy Stewart is too old. And Cary Grant was too old in North by Northwest. They're both too old in these movies. Yes, absolutely. It was a rea- It was this thing where he did a weird reaction. And also, they're, they're not just too old, but they're more too old when you put them next to 25, 26-year-old actresses yeah and i'm not saying they're not good i mean jimmy stewart's greatness no, I, it's just it's a yeah, it's a it's kind of i don't know i think both Cary grant and jimmy stewart like their classic scream personas did rely a fair amount on youthfulness which is i don't know i guess it's interesting yeah. i um yeah it's like well, I, what's really I like... weird is he's like 14 years older than midge and she's another 10 years older than madeline so it's yeah. I don't entirely buy him as someone who everyone is obsessed with and in love with in this <laughs> in this context. I kept putting in my notes, just come on, go with Midge. She's great. She likes <laughs> you. She's she's very helpful. But no. after this Hitchcock didn't work with Stuart again. He said he was too old yeah. and then he didn't work with him again. So this is really the end of their relationship. Hitchcock and Stuart. We saw a little bit on the trivia of North by Northwest where it was like he sort of passive, not passive aggressively. What do you call it? He um, sort of manufactured a situation where he didn't have to tell Jimmy Stewart he didn't want to work with him on North by Northwest. And I mean, I don't think that I don't think that Jimmy Stewart would have worked at North by Northwest. I still think that's the case, hmm. but he did Terry cast Grant someone is, older. Older, yes, <laughs> and and more awkward in his uh, romance scenes in that film, I think, than Jimmy well, Stewart is here. But now that we got that that boulder pushed out of the way, I, I do like how they're using because Jimmy Stewart is generally, you know, like everybody's buddy on the camera. You know, he's like you know Tom Hanks these days, right? That's Jimmy Stewart mm-hmm. back in the day. But you can effectively, you know, 
like weaponize them sometimes like in this or the man who shot liberty valance where it's like you because you really want to identify with this guy but this guy is such a creep Mm. (laughs) like i've seen this movie probably half a dozen times and i've seen it over the course of decades and i actually felt more sympathetic toward him this time than i have in previous because what i remember from it was that he was this misogynist that was obsessed and wanted to make this woman into a version of her visually that wasn't who she was but on the other hand Mm. like I kind of sense more desperation from him this time. And like his, mm. you know, Stuart's mental fragility is like a lot more believable and sympathetic when I watched it this time. And in a way it sort of works with his age to sort of middle aged. But like, I, I don't know, I came away with it with a little bit more like, I kind of get it because, you know, there was a lot of buildup to him being so desperate to recapture this relationship. And also, you know, Kim Novak, who was like the innocent victim last time I watched it, is still like an accomplice to the murder. And she Mm. also could have walked away when he found her. She writes that note, the movie could have ended, you know, she could have gone away and he would have had his answer. But she like doubled down and was like, no, our relationship based on lies, it could work. Like, I'm going to stick around and see if he'll love me for me. So like- (laughs) Well, she also could have just told him. (laughs) Right. Yeah. But she basically was going to go through another manipulation of tricking him so that they could still be together. But like, what plan was that? So I don't know. Yes, I think he is creepy. And when he gets into the let's dye your hair, it can't matter to you moment like that's, you know, that's too far. But I just felt like I could kind of see why he was so desperate by then, because he'd been manipulated by literally everyone in the story, except for me. It was really interesting. What they do is terrible, but they're still sympathetic in the way they're characterized, which I think is what makes it so entertaining to watch. If they really wanted to make it realistic, she would have went off and become the princess of Monaco. But uh... <laughs> I mean, maybe maybe when she falls out of the tower at the end, she does that. Um, I think it was really interesting to me how Judy was sort of the toughest character in this film, but then just absolutely just fell into doing everything that Scotty told her to towards the end, mm. where she was just like really suspicious and kind of like reaching for the the phone when he was kind of sneak creeping up on her but then she folds so quickly it's it was really fascinating because we've all met people like that right who are like the the tough the tough facade goes away so quickly Mm. we're talking of him sneaking and creeping one thing i did note watching like the first half of the film where he's like tailing her it's so interesting that this film Obviously, it's, you know, nearly, what, 60, 70 years old. People have become so much more literate in that that idea that the way that he's literally just following her car directly behind, making no <laughs> effort to hide, stopping right with... Whereas these days, if you had a scene of someone tailing in the film, they'd make a point of like, oh, they go past them and park around the corner and stuff like that. But I guess audiences in 1958, they weren't used to watching this, so they didn't think that deeply about it. Well, there's also kind of the uh, dream logic of this movie, you know, and the kind of, I mean, the, the driving scenes are extremely dreamy, you know, it, it's but also kind of... knowing the twist, it might be that she was just 100 percent aware he was tailing her the whole time because that was her plan anyway. So he, he, he is just terrible. He is just yeah. terrible at it. She's luring him. And so yeah. that's why she, he was perfectly timed when she jumps in the bay that he was there to catch her because yeah. she knew he was there. So. Yeah, so it was partly that um, partly that he was a bad cop while he retired as well, if this is how he's tailing people on a regular basis. (laughs) I mean, yeah, he let a guy fall off the roof. He let a few people fall off the roof, actually. That's sort of his whole thing. Yeah, yeah. Do not get around this guy on a roof. You're going to (laughs) die. It should have been called... One is one thing, but when three people have fallen off roofs around you, you have to start wondering if you have a problem. <laughs> That's a pattern. <laughs> yeah, it's like it's like Rod Serling over here. Um, but but yeah, um, it's it's also was notable that he was wearing this very suspicious like Dick Tracy outfit to most mm-hmm. of the beginning of the film, which like that was almost a parody of something. But you can't well, get a guy. It, you can't get a guy like out of a suit. Little... And 50 Sitchcock. Sorry, it's a little Altman esque overtalk. Yeah, it is a probably a little subtle joke. It's just that in a modern film, they would feel the need to like hang something on it and point it out. One of the characters would have a little line like, You idiot, you're dressed like an undercover cop. 
but I guess, you know, Hitchcock didn't feel the need to do that. Actually, his outfits are pretty standard for a bachelor in the 50s. I think I read that he had like a blue suit, a brown suit, a gray suit and something else. So that that was a pretty common run of the mill bachelor attire for the era. But I didn't pick up on the Dick Tracy part. So maybe I'm just too accustomed to watching films of this era. Whereas here I am a 32 year old man in a Nintendo t-shirt. So I can't comment (laughs) on anyone's fashion. I got my jacket here. I could get I could get slightly fifties class, I guess, but I, I'm also I'm, already ready to go to work. So <laughs> I'm wearing one of I'm wearing one of twelve identical black T-shirts from Target. <laughs> How much were they? What kind of deal did you uh, get on the black? Probably t-shirt? like three bucks each or something. Okay, I guess that's cool. I just went through a phase where I'm like, I'm wearing a black shirt at all times with no logo. Yeah, I just got like I don't want to think about ties and stuff, and everything goes black, right? So, yeah, just say Steve Jobs if anybody asks. Mm, Steve Jobs. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I don't, have to, I don't want to think about it. He's lovable, yeah, he's great, right? great guy, uh, great father. How, um, anyway, <laughs> how about um, Kim Novak as a performance? Because Hitchcock apparently didn't like it. He he wanted Grace <laughs> Kelly back, but yeah, he wasn't going to get that for a little while longer. As a whole, I thought she was fantastic. Like it took me that I had to watch the whole thing to understand it, but yeah, she I thought she did great. It seems yeah, she like was we said of... earlier, if there is a part where she was stiff, I think it's safe to say that was a, a choice. I yeah, I, I couldn't I think tell what she was saying in, uh, sometimes. The bug in Hitchcock's craw might have been more like because uh, I think she was party girling around at the time, which is other mm. starlets were not doing so much of she was like the you know she was Lindsay lohan in a little bit right maybe not that bad but i, I think right. hitchcock was kind of weird about people sometimes yes. yeah. just maybe say that's it mm-hmm. yeah it's like the whole thing where he delayed the filming of north by northwest so he didn't have to tell jimmy stewart that he wanted to use Cary grant it's like that's that's pretty weird i mean i guess we right? have to talk about vera miles a little bit who is originally going to be the uh the star the lead of this film and uh to the point where they had actually made the carlotta painting with vera miles face on it but uh, uh is that why they threw in the little gag it was, yeah, yeah, it was she a, had... that was a different painting there was actually <laughs> oh, a really? yeah huh. there's the mitch painting the real painting and the vera mills miles miles mills what? i always thought it was miles i don't know but uh okay. yeah but i i could be wrong i've just seen it miles. right i, I, I think it. you're right but yeah, yeah, she had the the nerve to get pregnant. So yes, so I heard that either it was that she got pregnant, and they're like, oh, okay, well, I guess we won't do it, or it was a convenient excuse that she got pregnant because I heard read also that Hitchcock was having doubts about her as well. So who knows? Um, but for one of those reasons, I also heard that uh, Audrey Hepburn had been considered, or she was interested, and Marilyn Monroe was somewhat interested, but Hitchcock didn't want her overshadowing his film with her fame, which sounds a lot like mm. him. So those are the other potential people I had heard in that role. Yeah, because uh, uh, Vera got the consolation prize of you know the of being the lady who does not get killed in Psycho, but is is not as well known. So. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah, I'd, I don't think Marilyn Monroe would have been the right choice here, but it would have been interesting. It's like in 2023, it's it's hard to even conceive of what her acting is, you know, like because she's she's such an icon at this point. Like we went to this uh, American themed yaki curry restaurant, yaki curry being a food that you would not get in America, but whatever. But yeah, so yeah, like yakitori, but curry. Um, I, I could show a picture, but it's basically, you know, it's in a black uh, cast iron pot. And, you know, yeah it's real it's real good. good it just it's the place is america themed but it's like you know <laughs> of course. it doesn't make any sense but uh, that you know it's all photos of like james dean and marilyn monroe right because she's to such an both of them are to an like such an iconic status it's icons and not actors it's hard mm-hmm. to see you watch rebel without a cause or seven year itch or something i like, go oh, it's weird watching them actually moving and talking and stuff mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't think I've seen James Dean in anything, to be honest. That's my point. <laughs> there aren't a lot of He's films. He's only made he did, three right? movies. Yeah. There's three. There's Giant, Rebel Without a Cause, and, uh, uh, you know, the other Something one. else. <laughs> like, I've seen I've seen Kurt Cobain in more movies than that. Yeah, yeah. So well, documentaries, but still. Um, East of Eden. Oh, my God. I'm sorry I passed out there. East of Eden. Hmm. Giant and Rebel Without a Cause. I don't know what order they're in, but those are the three feature films. 
Um, I guess this is a, a Dorian only question. How would Grace Kelly have worked in this role? Do you think she seems a little too light for this? I mean, not light as in like she's like you know silly or anything. Just she's kind of that maybe to catch the thief frothiness doesn't seem like a good fit. Frothy is a good word. I think so. I mean, I really like her in Rear Window too, but it just you know I think that that Novak had that grittiness to be Judy in a way that I don't know maybe maybe Grace Kelly would have liked it, but it seems like. Novak was a good fit for the dual role. Yeah, she seems mm-hmm. more like someone who might have murder in her heart, or at least uh, accomplice <laughs> murder in her heart. I well, think between what the I... performance and the look, it, it did. It wasn't immediate that I knew it was the same actress. That was what I was going to say. Was that from watching this in the past, not paying attention? I'm pretty sure I thought that was a different woman. Mm. Like, <laughs> I that's why I said I don't think I knew what this movie was about. I thought it was about. <laughs> jimmy stewart becoming obsessed with somebody making them dress up like somebody else and 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 getting vertigo a whole bunch well, there wasn't a whole lot of vertigo it's not there wrong, wasn't, but there, there's more to yeah. it yeah <laughs> there wasn't as much vertigo in this movie as i remembered there being oh but there's but, the vertigo effect which is just fantastic that's one of my favorite things ever yeah it's <laughs> awesome i think that, that i mean that directly goes to jaws right that's her connection to jaws is that effect yeah, sure yeah the, sure that, the whatever you call it the focusing and pulling at the same time yeah there's a the yeah. guy invent this was invented here this is the first mm-hmm. use of it i think the word- yeah apparently that was a nineteen thousand dollar shot that stairwell shot. wow we set that up and so only have a few seconds of screen time but it is a pretty you know crucial thing so when everybody talks about the jaws shot it's really this was that mm-hmm. and then later they called it the judge shot because it was a little bit you know less intensive at that point but it's the same effect as mark said it's interesting that there's so many like extreme visual sequences uh to you know credited to like distinct people in this movie right because hitchcock and his uh, cinematographer probably more cinematographer were doing that you know saul bass is doing the credits and um i, I forget the name but the the weird breakdown sequence is, is credited to someone as basically being the mastermind like in the opening credits so yeah i noticed in the opening credits it said like special sequence and i was like when it came up i was like, oh it's the special sequence i was promised so yeah, it looks like <laughs> chuck jones sequence. almost it looked like the chuck jones but really more cool. expensive mm-hmm. <laughs> um yeah I, that was okay this did kind of confuse me because he was in the hospital the doctor said he's not coming out of this for a year and then it mm-hmm. cuts to him just running around and nobody else, <laughs> no other characters from the film ever show up. So Jump cut. Is, that, is that, is there a reason for that? Is that explained or are we just supposed to, is it supposed to be like vague and we don't know? Uh, I'll Okay. I, I, I read the making of book uh, before this podcast. I read half of the original novel. Mm-hmm. Um, so the original novel is based, the, the first segment is in like 1940 France. The big thing is like uh he's like 40 years old or whatever he's like do i need do i have to join the military kind of just like walk around smoking cigarettes and uh and and uh eating baguettes and that that sort of thing and you know the war comes so the war is the demarcation line so he runs back into um the lady with a different name in the book but he runs into her in the 50s so it's clear that it's pre-war post-war paris right whereas obviously that doesn't really work with san francisco so if there was a flaw in the adaptation, it's that. But the reason I only read half the book is I got the flavor. And when reading the book, it was so informed by the visuals. It was like hard for me to kind of like, like from the movie, right? Like it was hard for me to even figure out if I was reading a good book or, or just a mediocre book because I'm just seeing right. the movie in my head. Um, mm-hmm. I will say that uh, the, the uh, he's, he's not Johnny in the, in the book. He has a French name that I've also forgotten, but he's, he's a lot, nastier like the, the first mm. 30 pages you're like this is like a proto incel or something <laughs> like he doesn't he doesn't have like he doesn't have barbara bell gettys around you know he doesn't he was <laughs> yeah. a creation for the movie this guy is just like moping his, in his apartment having just well, that makes it a lot more sinister then that's interesting and they make it clear like he's never really had a relationship so he's basically like yeah uh, incel in his 40s in the book so there's no equivalent of midge in the book Correct. Midge was added for. Sorry, I said the actress's name and not not the character's name a minute ago. <laughs> he definitely. I mean, I unfortunately, you know, being a middle aged person who's never like committed seriously to somebody for a, a long length of time, I do see a little bit of myself in his situation. But I would just date Midge 
because Midge is cool. I don't know. <laughs> that's the thing. Yeah, I don't but... understand the obsession part of it, but that's the thing is I'm not an incel person. I'm not a, an obsessive. Uh, well, I don't know. I'm not, I'm not a cop. We'll just say that. <laughs> I think we've all had situations where everyone's telling you you should date this person, but you just don't feel it. Yes. And then there's someone else you're obsessed with and everyone's telling you to get her, but you do feel it, her or him. Um, and yeah, it, it is something that you meant to like try and fix, not just obsessively hunt someone <laughs> down and make them into them. But you see, yeah, the obsession not- comes from the desperation and it's about him. It's about him trying to regain control of the situation mm-hmm. that he's lost really from the beginning of the movie. He starts the movie without control. He gets manipulated. He loses something he actually cares about. And then it's about trying to recapture that and get that back. And that desperation just sort of grows. So I, I don't know. I kind of like, like I said before, I, I sort of am more sympathetic to that this time than I was before, because I think it, it works together better than I remembered. I think it makes more sense. That buildup is it's about him trying to, to get control back. Yeah. It's a, a trauma, unaddressed trauma, because like he does talk about the vertigo, it like ruined his life, but he he immediately goes about just being like, Oh, it's fine, huh? I'll be fine. I'm just gonna, you know, travel or something. And then that sort of makes its way into you could also be like, Oh, vertigo is falling, falling in love, falling in love with a yeah. with a woman. It's like that's a that's a great metaphor, and I didn't put that together till the end of the movie. Well, but vertigo like is an inner inner ear issue. Actually, what he has is that acrophobia and guilt and PTSD, but the vertigo sounds uh-huh. cooler. So the fact that they're like, yeah. yeah, my acrophobia is causing my vertigo. That's not really how it works, but creative license. Yeah, I, I kind of put that in my notes too. It's like, I don't know about that, but yeah, <laughs> vertigo is a cool name. Friends like frenzy. Great, great movie mm-hmm. titles. Psycho, obviously. <laughs> um but yeah it's, also it's his theory at the start uh, his theory at the start for how to fix it i think is actually what you're supposed to do incrementally build closer to being okay with it um whereas yeah shock therapy is much more <laughs> risky <laughs> i guess it works for him in this case it does. Yeah, if i, if I throw enough people off bridge off roofs i won't care anymore <laughs> yeah well it's when he got yeah. his control back that's when he mm. was okay it was finally he had he was on to her he was forcing her up the stairs and that's when he regained that control finally for the first time in the movie that's when suddenly he cured himself and then we, they went up to the very top and everything came crashing down literally and figuratively again but that's that was the control again it's the nuns mm. fault blame religion def- okay does anybody think did anybody see the nun and for like a split second or hope was hoping it was Hitchcock making a cameo as the nun? <laughs> like he'd already I made his like, appearance. I, I thought I it was gonna be Gavin and, and they'd have a cool punch up. So Oh yeah, that makes that also makes sense. I was like, who's this nun? And it was like, Oh, it's just a nun. It's like no, everything was fine. Well, they were she was even entry. willing she was even willing to forgive him for like you know, a, assaulting her and trying to Force Mark, her up Mark, the tower. Ask me that question again. Uh, what the uh, sh- should the nun who? have been Hitchcock? No, no, who's that? Who is what? Who's that nun? Ask me again. Who's that nun? None your business. <laughs> well, <laughs> that uh, nun, <laughs> you know, you I actually was gonna ask time. when was um, when was Hitchcock cameo? I didn't catch it in this one. It's in the shipyard, I think it's like 11 minutes in, so as they oh, yeah. as yeah he's walking by it's such a good cameo i missed it too so don't feel bad <laughs> i remember right. a north by northwest the cameos really early as well mm-hmm. oh yes yeah, right at the end of, i think it's on his directing credit on that one with him missing the bus <laughs> right yeah <laughs> so that, that i guess like it's good to get them out of the way early so it's not like you spend the whole film looking for it mm-hmm. but, yeah that's but i point. like i squealed with delight when the nun came out and she freaked out and ran away because that was just absolutely chaotic madness at the end <laughs> and that's like that's it we're done the nun should have been played by stan lee <laughs> i'd be like jump out of this tower true believer <laughs> how old was stan lee been at this point <laughs> like 35 he was working for yeah Marvel. i guess he would have been he hadn't, he, hadn't, he hadn't created the, the, those characters yet that would be a few years later. So <laughs> he was just a work a day dude. Weird choice. Yeah, that yeah would be no, a weird it should choice. have been. It should have been Cary Grant. Um, <laughs> then he, then he the throws nun. Jimmy Stewart. Well, I think yeah. He, then he throws Jimmy Stewart off before, the building, right? 
wasn't he a nun in some yep. movie? Wouldn't have been his first I'm time. pretty sure he was. I don't remember <laughs> exact. Some like it hot. Was he a nun in that? He wasn't a nun. No. Somebody be. was a nun in that movie. Cross dressing. Nobody right? was a nun in that. Nobody was a nun in that. Okay, but there was cross dressing, right? <laughs> yes, absolutely. Okay. okay, checkmate, Tennessee. <laughs> that one, that'll um, age terribly. Anyway. <laughs> One thing this movie also does is, I guess, it seems to obsess plenty of other filmmakers. Um, 12 Monkeys has its Vertigo sequences. Uh, Scorsese, uh, obviously, has gone over this. Chris Marker in San Soleil, there's like a insanely long segment where he's just basically being a tourist in San Francisco and visiting spots in Vertigo. So, Well, the, um, the opening reminded me a lot of the opening of The Matrix. Oh, and then yeah. later on, it does it does the scroll up the hotel later on as well. So I'm sure those are both deliberate references. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I didn't even go grab on that. So yeah, that's the point. Uh, a lot of these things do kind of ripple out in, in other places, which is kind of kind of fun. Well, and I, uh, IMDb told me that the opening credits were the first use of CGI in film ever. Like huh. those <laughs> rotating rotating shapes, first CGI ever. Well, also, and if you see Anatomy of a Murder, which also is James Stewart, and you recognize the sort of outline cut out of a man, it's the same one as for Vertigo. So if you'll you'll see that graphic again for that film. Hmm. Yeah, because there's a and there's a weird companion movie, that, not companion movie, but basically to get um, Kim Novak and James Stewart to work together, the, they had to make a studio deal. So. Right around this time is is a movie, Bell Book and Candle, which isn't really. I mean, it's. I mean, it's not bad. It's not. It's just. It's just a movie, but also has like this weird obsessive thread. So it's like kind of a, a obsession duo for you know 1958 or whatever. So Virgo was released in May, and Bell Book and Candle was released in on Christmas Day of that year. But yes, because she's a witch, and she sort of she's the one in the control this time. So she sort of casts a spell on him because she doesn't like him and she wants to like him. So it's it's she gets her revenge in that in a way. But that's the other pairing of Novak and Stewart. And yeah, it was part of the Columbia Paramount deal for Novak to be loaned out to make. I am uh, looking at some footage from it through IMDb and it looks really cool. I like the look of it mm -hmm. for what Me it's too. worth. I've never, never heard it's of this. It's whimsical. Film. It's fun. And it's about witches. So that's kind of neat. It looks but witchy. It's a cute, yeah. It's a witchy romantic comedy. So very different tone. Yeah. Outside okay. of the special sequence, I guess you wouldn't call Vertigo fun. <laughs> and you have to be a little weird to call that part fun too. So, but you know, the, throw psychedelic images in my head and I'm, 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 I'm game. It's compelling. I love the dream sequence. I think that's really that's neat. I think the the nun is fun. Nun <laughs> nun is fun. Mm, okay. <laughs> but, yeah. but that is uh, I guess the thing the whole movie is dreamy. You can just kind of sit there and let it like float along, you know, like it's mm. like the actors like you said it partly coldness but partly like nobody's really engaging. They're just drifting aimlessly through the movie, but that's kind of the point. <laughs> Yeah, there's some really long, slow sequences. Yeah, but it, I mean, it, it worked for the tone. I mean, it's a blasphemy if I compare some of my love for Vertigo with my love for watching Driver's Ed films. There's like a through thread there. Because <laughs> I think there is. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I mean the, the ones that teach you how to drive, not the ones that show you the grisly accidents. Right. <laughs> <laughs> that, that one doesn't feel like so much like vertigo unless, unless they're driving the car off of a tower or uh, out through a window then i guess there'd be a you could connect that yeah it's probably a, a educational video about like don't jump in san francisco bay <laughs> or don't fall off a tower oh definitely don't fall off a tower we used to don't watch fall off those. a tower yeah you stupid <laughs> that didn't exist that tower was added visually to that mission but the mission does not oh. have that that's really huh. cool I read somewhere that you could uh, you could go to the actual hotel until very recently, like they just closed it. Mm. But um, apparently, a lot of the stuff still exists in San Francisco. But yeah, San Francisco is sort of the biggest, most likable star of the whole movie, and there are a lot of things you can do. You can take the linear driving path that he did, and just it really is kind of a love letter to San Francisco. This movie makes San Francisco and that area look gorgeous. I was watching it thinking I want to visit that. That's yeah, a lot <laughs> that like nice. um, North by Northwest does for, I guess, mostly Mount Rushmore, but also New York or maybe half and half for that. But it's like 
it's really interesting how both of these are sort of like look at how cool this shit looks america looks cool right used to i will get i've recently had two film dork obsessions um i've been watching a fair amount of hitchcock because my my family's digging it and also on the twilight zone podcast where i'll do the buster keaton episode so i was like "Ah, i'll go watch the buster keaton films on the 20s they're all on youtube so a couple things watching the hitchcock like my eyes can now just not unsee like rear projection um this is mm. north by northwest but when they're in the station you can tell whenever they're no one's talking it's it's on location and then when people start talking it becomes like you know on blu-ray it's pretty obvious rear projection and same thing in, in vertigo uh some of it's cool like they built the bookstore but then they're filming the rear projections outside of uh union square or whatever and that's that's pretty cool but um then in, you know watching the buster keaton stuff they don't really have much of that right it's uh him like literally dodging boulders while running down hills and stuff you know like reproduction started in in 34 so if you're in the 20s that's before it's got implemented but yeah yeah again watching these buster keaton films you do just start to realize wait a minute there aren't any well there are a few special effects are very good but most of it is like they just like drove out 20 miles away from la and did ridiculously dangerous stuff (laughs) sounds like dragon ball z yeah, well, he, he got a, um, you know, he got an X-ray in the mid thirties, and like, when did you break your neck? <laughs> <laughs> because in Sherlock Jr., a bunch of like too much water came out of the water towers. Ah, I got, I'm getting headaches now, and they're like, oh, you actually broke your neck when you did that. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> that reminds me of Jackie Chan, similar. Mm-hmm. Oh, oh, yeah. yeah, they're totally the same. Yeah, the same slot, and and they're. You know, respective eras. Uh, There's which a good not... line in Jackie Chan's autobiography where he's like, "At one point, I'd broken every bone in my body except this one bone in my foot, and then I was just playing with knives between takes, and I dropped one on my foot." <laughs> <laughs> playing with knives, that's cool. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I, I guess not. That doesn't really equate to Hitchcock because yeah, this is kind of like you know the height of '50s production, but. You can see some of the seams of '50s production. I'm still kind of working on if I like the fact that I see all this now or I hate it. I'm not. I'm not quite sure. Um. <laughs> you can. Uh, you, it's like the last time, the last couple of times I watched Wizard of Oz, it sort of shifted for me into, wow, these sets are cool. I wish I could have hung out on these sets, mm. which is a different kind of appreciation than I think this is real. But it was still like really fun to watch it. I think I would have felt creeped out on the Wizard of Oz sets, especially if nobody else was there. Um, <laughs> I mean, if nobody else was there, they're probably behind a rock doing heroin or something. Yeah. Now, here, the, now as far as the ones that I can't see in as cool productions, uh, there's Ernie's, right? Eat at Ernie's. I hope Ernie's the Muppet, right? Um, mm-hmm. But they just, you know, the production designers just recreated that restaurant as close as they could, like in the soundstage. And, because Hitchcock hated location, but he also borrowed the major d and the head waiter to come to be in the film. So there was a little catered. bit of catered, yeah. Wow. <laughs> so the people, the extras did get to eat the the food from the proper restaurant being made on site. Nice. So that's oh, yeah. that's that's the production stuff. That's awesome. Yeah, I love that. So <laughs> yeah, I feel like Hitchcock is constantly threading the needle between isolation and uh and uh immersing himself in the all the city and forest and all that stuff which is pretty cool because that's sort of just how it is to be a person in the world (laughs) i don't know how else to say that (laughs) i think a lot of movies we we watch on a regular basis are either like go full like social people are everywhere or it's like two people in a room somewhere and it reminds me of the old um introvert or extrovert whereas i feel like for me, at least, it's I need both. If I spend a couple of weekends yeah. around people, it's like I need a weekend where I don't see another human being. I just go in the woods. But if I haven't seen anyone for a while, it's like I want to make friend, plans with my friends and see people and whatnot. Yeah, I love uh, being around people and I love living alone. It's like <laughs> those two things, the dichotomy of when I had friends who I convinced to move into the same apartment complex as me and I could just walk over there, have friends, and then walk back to my house and be alone just at will. I mean, yeah, to the extent good. they would tolerate me, yeah, it was great. <laughs> I just watch walk over there with a glass of scotch. Be like, hey, in my bathrobe. Yeah, that's why my favorite people are people who can 
they can be there, but you don't feel the need to hang out with them. Like my friend Mas, who you've heard on podcast, he would he would stay at my apartment for like a month at a time. But we could happily just leave each other alone and do our own thing. And then some of my other friends, they would crash at your house one night and the next morning they're like, Oh, somebody's hey, what are we doing today? And it's like, Oh my god, leave me alone. <laughs> like, <laughs> I'm doing stuff and you're leaving, ideally. <laughs> what do you think happens after this movie ends with Scotty? <laughs> think uh he asks midge out and she says it's too late scotty he slaps him okay yeah slaps him that'd be great <laughs> i think that's what happens and then she gives him a painting of of him alone with some on a tower while someone's she, falling off <laughs> she painted that <laughs> she was down at the, on the mission lawn painting it as it happened <laughs> i'm i'm making this way more elaborate answer than it needs to be <laughs> I have an answer. It's the alternate ending, which is that, you know, some people didn't like that or some countries like uh, these are really general terms, but there was an alternate ending that was made so that the villain could be punished. And so there's it's less than two minutes. It's on YouTube. And what happens is the next scene after that, the ending is Midge in her apartment hearing on the radio that the uh, the Gavin is being like tracked down and going to be held accountable. And then Jimmy Stewart comes in and they like have a drink together, but they don't talk. So it's like they're together again as friends, but like they, you know, so the what happens is that they sort of connect again, but you know, he's sort of not the same. So did they like, film that or did they have some footage of the two of them having a drink and dub in a radio voice? No, it's it's footage you can see it. It's on YouTube. No, 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 no. I mean, it. did they film it especially, or did they use footage they already have of the two of them not talking and add in a no, radio? No, case? they filmed it. As, well, I mean, I guess I didn't dissect it. That's a good yeah. question. But I, I had read that it was specifically shot as not. Okay. I think yeah, the, the fact that they don't have lines and stuff, it makes me yeah. wonder. Yeah, 50s censorship would have been... I think the worry was censors in the fifties would not be okay with the fact that the villain of the tale did not get his comeuppance. Although I might call Scotty a villain of the movie. He's, <laughs> he is not terribly innocent, and, and and you know probably the the my gut reaction if I'd actually thought about it rationally is he'd probably be in trouble. I mean, yeah, he yeah, did he, drag her up there. He's the Joker right at the end, right? It's like you know yeah. psychological torture for everyone. It's too late. You're with crazy Jimmy now. So no, but he he's, have the, he's Batman is not and so many murders, the Joker gadgets. Yeah, <laughs> because the Joker falls off the tower and mm. Batman threw him off the tower. Uh, he he told her, did you ever dance in the pale moonlight? No, with no, the devil? Like, Jimmy is Jimmy is, is the Joker and, and she's Batgirl being thrown off the tower. Oh, yeah, that probably happened. <laughs> <laughs> that seems to work a little better anyway. Yeah. Um. But yeah, the point was they were like, oh, the the quote unquote the guy who actually did like intentional murder needs to get his comeuppance or that's a problem in the late 50s uh mm. the other I, I guess the bigger one that is in the movie is in the book it's not revealed until the end what the deal is um and the movie is going to be that way too and they it, it was like they weren't the screenwriter added in the letter writing scene they filmed it hitchcock almost took it out before release again so um because, you know, that means like we have like a third of the movie where we know it's up, right? Where mm. otherwise it would have been, you wouldn't know that till the very end. So I, but don't I, know. I think finding out at the end, it would have felt more like a cheap twist, I think. Yeah, I thought like, Hitchcock approved that change because he said that suspense isn't about what you don't know. It's about, you know, the fact that you do know and you're watching that unfold when the characters do not. So I mm. thought that Hitchcock did say to reveal it earlier because that was better for the overall story. I, I also like the reveal because I was cringed the fuck out that whole time. Well, while he was like trying to dress her up and I'm like, I know that she knows. Yeah, that was. Uh... Yeah, that if, a lot if you'd had the reveal later, you'd have seen him being pretty terrible. Oh, and it would have felt like, oh, and here's an excuse. It's actually fine. Mm -hmm. Speaking of my box that just came in the mail right on the back of the box, it does have this quote. Always yeah. make the audience suffer <laughs> as much as possible. Nice. <laughs> That's what our podcast is all about. <laughs> right on. Okay. <laughs> um, does anyone have a, a big point and uh, 
of course, Dorian, you have your paper notes. I don't know if I we've so missed many notes, notes I took. I totally overprepared. I didn't realize there'd be so many more people, but okay. Can I <laughs> a couple things? Um, yeah, go ahead. Okay. So let me get this cool quote I had about color because the colors of red and green really do show up a lot. And so there's a lot of theory about that and I'm not going to read it all, but there is a YouTube video about it. And there's a quote from Oral Crave, that's the name of the website. If red is the color of obsession, love, and the vertigo that the protagonist suffers, green is the spectral color of the distortion of reality. So, well, that was a cool quote. So much more about colors if you want to delve into that part of the film theory. Well, I do know one of the big selling points of the 97 70 millimeter one was how green the glow is when Madeline is recreated. <laughs> like, because, uh, you know, for years, people have been seeing on relatively washed out film and the effect was not clear for the past 30 years or so uh, when when you first saw that. But yeah, it is a trippy glow. Uh, soft focus. And, and that's another technique that I'm kind of glad we're not too deep on anymore. But <laughs> it was soft and it looked granular sometimes, too. Like when they're in the graveyard, it looks almost like a 16 print blown up. It's so I don't know if that's because it was too bright or what was going on, but it's not just hazy. It's just like and granulated too so that was distracting maybe because i read it in your notes before i watched the film but um yeah i agree that, that it really some things are so crisp and other things are are more than just hazy for the effect it seems but maybe maybe that's me being critical but apparently they left carlotta's gravestone in a real cemetery for several years <laughs> yeah <laughs> i i i'll say this i definitely started to think is Carlotta real? Is Carlotta possessing? I was, um, I was really like uh, sucked in by that whole thing. I, 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 I knew it wasn't going to be a ghost story, but I was like, maybe it will be a ghost story. Well, I haven't watched much Hitchcock, so in my head, it was entirely possible this could have been a supernatural film. Hmm. I, That's a good point. Relatively, I haven't watched that many. I think I've seen about five or six, seven. What? So I think he has thirty, right? This is my second. <laughs> the, the worst, this is the worst, is that I said this on Facebook. I was like, it's my New Year's resolution this year to watch every Hitchcock film. And that was, I think, 2012. <laughs> it's like a very old promise that I completely broke. There are 68 credited films on IMDb. So it's, it's a lot of them. And it starts in the silence. So, you know. Um, there is one other thing I want to mention, which is Kim Novak, who just turned 90 in February. Um, I think she deserves a shout out. Actually, Vera Miles is also alive, too, at age 93. But uh, Kim Novak is an artist, and she lives in Oregon. She's a painter, and she has a horse named Poet. So nice. <laughs> I thought that was too cool not to mention. So good for Kim, <laughs> and good for Vera, and uh, it's nice that they're still around. So I guess I guess that's all I have. Well, I guess those are my notes. The other thing I need to bring up is that one of my best friends is called James Stewart. You've heard him on podcasts, Mark. That's Jess. Oh, okay. In the Zelda one and the Monster Hunter one. Okay, cool. Sometimes <laughs> it's hard. It's hard. There's like Jess and and Mass and Mus. Yeah. Well, there's also there's Jay and Jess are both called James, and both <laughs> Scottish. So <laughs> I'm 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 pretty Everyone good at keeping Scotland them straight at this James. point. I think. And then really me and Mus both have James as a middle name, so we could just all go by James and be really obnoxious if we wanted. <laughs> be like a confederacy of Jameses. James, James, yep. James, James, and James. Yeah. I just know. I, the uh, name's James. James, 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 James. <laughs> hey, you could have the James, James show. You don't even barely even have nice. to change the name of it. <laughs> um, I guess the, the other thing, since we're on a Jimmy Stewart movie, is I, I don't think I brought, maybe I brought it up, but uh, at my father's high school graduation my grandmother apparently kept getting kneed in the back by jimmy stewart the whole time because he went to his son went to the same school <laughs> okay i um weird confession is that i just had the craving after watching this to go back and watch the uh the thing on snl where jim carrey did the the jimmy stewart impression and he like beat everybody with the with the foam baseball bat i don't know if i've seen that i have to go on, on pretty on snl on SNL, this was like sort of the very end of SNL being good. So it was like 1997 or something like that. But it was, um, it was like the Joe Pesci show and Jim Carrey guests as Jimmy Stewart 
on that, but then somebody else plays Jim Carrey, and Jim Carrey like beats himself to death, and then he beats Joe Pesci to death, and then he hits the cameraman, and he's just going like, Aah! it's it's pretty funny. <laughs> it's one hundred percent on YouTube, so there you go. Yep. The oh, that is where I <laughs> Um, is it a film? Is it filth? <laughs> It's <laughs> film, yeah. dude. Yeah, you can't really. Yeah. Get it. So I guess the question is: Is there anything uh, filthy about it? Then I mean, I mean, like, I mean Scotty's kind of filthy. Scotty's He's behavior kind of, is pretty filthy. Yeah. Yeah, but I mean, he gets he gets nothing but he gets nothing but come up and see. It's nothing but bad things happen to him the whole time. So I yeah. feel pretty satisfied that the Hayes Code has been fulfilled and that the bad guy <laughs> got his comeuppance. Well, that ended up on the cutting room floor, though, right? I mean, one of the bad guys got away. Maybe he just flew into the sun or something. I mean, a few good. Well, he got punished by going to Europe. Yeah, that was. (laughs) I mean, Ernie's looked like a pretty hip restaurant. I want to eat there. He had at least what two or three nice meals. No, a lot. They kept with with Judy. Kept going to Ernie's every night. He's like, "Hmm, I'm pretty sure he had a great, wonderful life, and then retired to great, wonderful European life, and probably didn't feel any shame. Was that a joke that you said he had a wonderful life? Yes. No. Okay. okay. <laughs> no, it was actually not intent, not intended, but not intended. <laughs> I, the, 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 um, thought also went through, through my thunker. So, <laughs> okay. So, um, do, have we seen a twilight zone episode that has this many people falling out of a window? Cause I think we have. I no. already made that joke in the uh, synopsis. Mark. <laughs> okay. Damn oh, it. Mark, Mark wasn't there for that. Um, the one where they, the, um, the camera, the camera, the camera one. one yes, oh yeah. Like three camera. of them fall out that window. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's supposed to be like entertaining by that point. Right. Yeah. Okay. Oh, it was entertaining here too. Ah, sorry. I'm trying to look up the one star reviews on my phone, but it's harder to do the, the, um, a filter by rating. Okay. There we go. Okay, looking for a one one star review, a real one star review, right? Yeah. Uh, this one looks that one's too long. That's a tone that doesn't get to get read. I had people this write, up yesterday and I lost it. You had, I had what one. a mark! Uh, Great job, man! All Best. the reviews are long. Okay, there and here's one. It's it's what's oh did I give it a the okay? This is interesting. I'm going to read part of this one because you know how we don't like it when they give it a like it's a one star review, but they give it a six specifically mm. that's what we're trying to avoid yes yeah so i was about to say oh here's one but then i noticed it's not eight out of ten it's 0.08 out of ten <laughs> okay that's that's okay then so okay let's i'll i'll try and uh, do the summary of this because it's kind of all of the vertigo reviews are long because i guess you have decided good bad review whatever you've decided to be a film scholar here yep. we go once again, bow down, scrape your heels, knuckle your forehead for no good reason at all. I watched a so-called masterpiece for a class assignment, and I was actually looking forward to it, so I can't be held to expectations of poor quality, and I can only think of one word to explain my feelings on this movie. Why? <laughs> why, is it, why did they leave the unnecessary 30 to 45 minutes in there? Why was this film so horrendously acted, directed, filmed, and edited? Where else to go on the plot? Yeah, they're pretty much. Uh, I yeah. like the one above that. Did Hitchcock allow his assistant to direct? <laughs> I first saw this film in the mid '80s, and again recently. The words which come immediately to mind to describe it are tedious and pointless. Words one does not usually associate with Hitchcock. Overrated does not even come close. Perhaps someone will produce a restored version of Vertigo with an extra hour or two of San Francisco street scenes. <laughs> Vertigo is already more like a travelogue than a narrative. Okay, I, I went a little deeper um, in here, and there's there's definitely some fun stuff about the acting here. Stiff, overdone, no sir, audience. I'm not reading my lines from cue cards. Crap. Uh, James Stewart was quite possibly the worst choice. He only has one speed. Merry Christmas, Bell Tower. Kim Novak was hardly any better. Her cookie cutter character. I dare you not to love me. No wait, I'm untouchable. No wait, help me. No way. I've been saved. <laughs> Would have been served up more convincingly by James Stewart himself in a dress. <laughs> okay i found the one that i was going to read okay awful garbage by edward carter the use of color is probably the only good thing about this slow and boring overlong dated film the first half is much too long and slow and the repetitive driving scenes quickly become very tiresome kim novak was always a poor actress and looks ridiculous with her bleached platinum blonde hair and thick dark eyebrows 
far too many scenes take place in the studio on very fake looking sets with painted backdrops. The opening scene is ruined because it is so fake. Not that cops would be chasing a criminal over roof, rooftops anyway. By far, the, by far the worst thing, however, is the dreadful miscasting of Grandfather Stewart as Scotty. Stewart was clearly far too old to be playing romantic leads at this point in his career, and he actually looked more than twice Kim Novak's age. She was 24 and he was 49, though he looked at least 55. <laughs> his gray wig is laughably bad. And he just looks like an ugly old man chasing after his granddaughter. With a younger, better-looking actor like Marlon Brando, this film might have been at least watchable. 69 out of 128 found this helpful. I thought you were going to say 69 out of 10 was the rating, which was going to be impressive. Okay, like they're, like the real rating. That's a high right? rating. 69 out I of like, 10? I like the title of this one. Not as bad as Rope, but pretty bad. <laughs> <laughs> Well, it's got more shots than Rove. <laughs> um, I guess we'll get wrapping it up. Uh, as far I'm looking, I'm staring at my list. Dorian, it looks like you're back for Eternal Sunshine, which I believe stresses Mark out. Oh, no, I that mean, I've only seen once, so it's going to be all new practically when I see it. So I'm excited. It doesn't stress me out. I just didn't like. We'll we'll get into it whenever that happens. <laughs> Okay, well, I, I did for... not like the the characters. Stay I haven't watched it for, for ten or October. twenty years, so I remember almost nothing. Mm. Okay, I guess uh, I guess I'll ramble. What's up with us today? Then uh, this being films and filth, uh, you can throw us a dime on Patreon and get episodes early and and longer versions of the episodes where Mark screams at his computer for a minute. <laughs> That's right. Uh, you only get me at this level unless you pay <laughs> money. <laughs> That's uh, on Patreon. Podcastio. Podcastius, where we do lots of podcasts. We mentioned the Twilight Zone a bit. Uh, I do time of podcast where I talk about all the episodes of the Twilight Zone. There is a cult Disney where I talk about the weird things in Disney films. Uh, Luke loves Pokemon. It's Let's love a Pokemon. He loves Zelda too, but that's not the name of that one. That's Hyrule field report which is what two episodes in now i mean by the time this comes out the beat oh wait no it's not, this one come out like uh, singing in the rain There'll be a oh, couple yeah, out. Uh, two weeks okay you get a few of those and uh, if you've been hardcoring the new zelda game and the game game show where gamers the james james so show where gamers james themselves about james <laughs> games games show okay sorry just test t- t- road testing your new title there Okay, wait, I have a question. Is it going to come out on May 28th? Because that would be the 65th anniversary of its release. Vertigo. Whoa. Wow. Uh, well, now it does because it was June 1st, so three days early could probably happen. Yeah. <laughs> cool. That's fantastic. I love okay. it. Dates. Nice. All right. I'm gonna stand Don't get in Vertigo. My chair. I'm going to stand oh. in my chair and then <laughs> fall out and then, and then destroy this cd case with my my foot as happened a few weeks ago oh no <laughs> i'm gonna go and try and blow my head inside out <laughs> i'm gonna go to sleep and see if i get an animated sequence out of it <laughs> i went to sleep the other night and just dreamed about zelda so i think yeah it was about same to say, I think they hard the same <laughs> just dream about trying to solve things <laughs> <laughs>